All right, welcome into the Arrowhead Attic Podcast Thursday edition. My name is Patrick Allen. Joined this week by the blog father, my guy Adam Best from the from the Wednesday show, Wacky Wednesday. Adam, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining me. Anytime, man. It's going great. It's going great. I'm getting a little anxious as a mostly football sports fan at yeah. this portion of the summer, but it's moving along pretty fast. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, almost July. We're going to turn around. It's going to be July. And then we're just a couple weeks away from training camp. So start lighting. You guys know I say this every year. Whatever gods you pray to, whatever you believe in, light candles for ACLs, you know, knees, Achilles, like good. We need good, good vibes and, and good juju, even though we don't have juju anymore for everybody to get out of camp clean. And I would direct the bulk of that energy towards three players. I'm not even going to name them. We all know who they are. Yeah. You don't even want to put them in the same mix as the injuries that we're talking about. I agree. I think that's a smart move. Guys, super jacked up for the show today. It is going to be an absolutely uh, incredible show. A weird show, maybe. Um, We're going to have the first ever convicted felon, maybe? I don't know. Bank robber. We have a special guest. We're going to talk about this... this crazy Chiefs-aholic guy, which we haven't talked very much about on this podcast, at least on my shows. So, I mean, look, it's July or late June. It's time to dive into the, some wacky stuff. And why not Why not talk about this? And, and you know, do you, you want to say any more about that? Do you want to set it up later? Or just, just I'll, set, I'll, set up the, uh, I'll set the table later. But I think when the New York Times started covering this story, it was legitimate news and it gave us permission to kind of dig in. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the season anymore, so uh, let's let's it's kind of crazy, wacky story. So we we've got a pretty cool expert on here. All right, some Jesus saying Patrick Cleveland just blew us saved. Did they just did they just lose to the damn Royals? Is that what happened? Oh my God, you're serious? Yeah, four to three. Everybody knows I'm from Northeast Ohio, so I'm a Guardians fan. Uh God damn. That's brutal. Okay, I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I'm going to piss everybody off because I know y'all are Royals fans. By the way, we, we get a lot to get to. There is a we just came out with a brand new shirt in the Arrowhead Attic store. You got to check it out. Our guy Travis Kelsey um, was asked how long he's going to play by a reporter recently, and he said till the wheels fall off, baby. And I loved it, so we put it on a T-shirt. It's a great T-shirt. I think we've got it in white and red. Check it out. I tweeted about it. There's a link in the description. If you guys want to rock that quote, I, I think it's the perfect like tagline for this team because it's like with Mahomes and Kelsey and, and Chris Jones and Andy, it's like, how many Super Bowls can we win? You know, like, let's just keep going until the wheels fall off. And I'm so glad he said that, aren't you? Yeah. Let's milk it until there's nothing left to milk. It's, I think, especially with where the Chiefs will draft in the Mahomes era, yeah. it's very unlikely that they have three players of this caliber together again. Because last season, Jones was the best defensive tackle. He was arguably the best defensive player in the league. I mean, certainly top five. Travis Kelsey was the best tight end and really a top five receiving weapon. And then you have the best quarterback on the planet. That nucleus is hard to replicate when you're picking in the 30 range every year. Yeah, I agree, man. Let's just rack them up. You never know. You never know what might happen. Speaking of, you know, never knowing what might happen. Today is the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of the death of Joe Delaney. I just want to talk about that really quick because this is a story that you know, it should hit you in the heart if you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, it, you know, I'm 39. I wasn't old. I think I think Joe Delaney died. He died, he died in 1983. That was the year I was born. So um, I was only a few months old when he passed away. Obviously, I didn't get to watch him play. And he had a very short career in Kansas City. For those of you who might be a little bit younger or might not be familiar with, with Joe Delaney, he was the Chiefs running back. And he kind of came on out, out of nowhere. In 1981, he played 15 games for the Chiefs. He had 234 attempts, 100, uh, 1,121 yards. So he averaged 4.8 yards per carry. He broke off an 82-yard touchdown run, which I believe was the longest run uh, from scrimmage that season. Three touchdowns. And then he caught 22 passes for 246 yards as well. Was this sort of rising star in, uh, in 1982. He had an eye injury. There was a strike. Um, so he only ended up with 380 yards in eight games played that season. But... He was this rising star and by all accounts, a tremendous human being. And that sort of was cemented with his legacy when he passed away. Because if if you weren't familiar, I'm going to read, there's a really great, if you don't know about this or you haven't read this article, check out Sports Illustrated. 
uh, just Google Joe Delaney Sports Illustrated. It'll come up. It's one of the articles from their vault. And it's a wonderfully written article. And I tear up every time I read it. And this is the passage that really gets to me. So basically the story was Joe was at a park. There was a uh, swimming hole. It wasn't really for swimming. It was from a construction thing. And some kids got into trouble. And Joe went in to save them, uh, three kids. And he could not swim, but he went in anyway. And he drowned and two of the kids drowned. One got out. And this is the passage from Sports Illustrated. Uh, There was a huge hole carved there, carved out of the earth some time ago. The hole had filled with water and three boys waded in. They didn't know it, but a short way out to the the bottom dropped off precipitously. And suddenly the boys were in over their heads and thrashing and screaming. There were all sorts of people around, but only Joe dashed to the pond. There was a little boy there. Can you swim? He asked Joe. I can't swim good, Joe said, but I've got to save those kids. If I don't come up, get somebody. And he rushed into the water. So just heartbreaking to hear that, to hear that he acknowledged that he, he might might be in trouble, but nobody else was was doing anything. It just makes you proud to be a, a Chiefs fan to hear hear stories like that about former players. Yeah, sure does. I was very young when that happened, but my dad, I inherited being a Chiefs fan along with being born in Kansas City. And my father told me stories about him. I think he would have been a, a great player. Not very many people are willing to make that kind of sacrifice. That's really all you can say. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine not... I fortunately was was able to get swimming lessons when I was a kid and I was able to learn how to swim and be pretty comfortable in the water, but anybody can drown and people who can swim often do drown high pressure situation. And I can't imagine how scary it would be in a, in a situation like that to know that you're not a very good swimmer and it, but just to try to do the right thing. Um, yeah, it makes me proud to be a chief fan. And I, when I used to run the website, I would make sure I marked this day every year, uh, Joe Delaney Day for, for Chiefs fans so that we don't forget that he gave up his life to try to to save uh, some other kids. Um, so just wanted to mention that on the podcast today and um, you know, tip my hat to, to Joe Delaney and, and uh, his family. Stared he, death in the face and didn't blink. Didn't I don't blink. know how many of us would do that. Yeah. I mean, it's there aren't too many, man. There, there aren't too many. Uh, just what, what, what an incredible guy uh, and a shame. He was, um, I want to say 24, I think, when he passed away. Um, it's just terrible. One of those kids did get out. I don't know if he was able to get his hands on him or helped in any way, um, but just a, a terrible tragedy all around. I believe he got a medal from President Reagan at the time. You just got to read the Sports Illustrated article. Like, If you're a Chiefs fan, it's summer and you don't know the story well or you haven't read that article, it's, it's, it's a must read. Um, all right. So, some other things we got to get to before we do, I just got to let you know, uh, we got a special offer from FanDuel. If you want to take advantage of it, new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. All you have to do is click our link in the description to sign up. If you sign up for FanDuel with our link, uh, you will not only have your first bet insured, but you'll also be uh, supporting the podcast big time. Um, so if you're interested in trying FanDuel, click the link below and sign up with us. The offer is available for new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in most legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the description for the offer's full terms. And if you already have an account with FanDuel, if you can head to arrowheadaddict.com slash bets to find more betting offers and ways to support the show. These really help, guys. When you, If you haven't bet with somebody and you sign up with one of our partners, it's massive and helps us bring you, you know, three episodes a week in late June. So we'll keep it up. All right. I want to get on this Travis Kelsey story. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Kelsey was interviewed in this long expose in in Vanity Fair. And they asked him about a number of things. It's also worth a read. It's extremely long, but uh, it's worth a read. And one of the things that kind of got blown up yesterday was people, some people, some hacks, some clowns. Travis Kelsey said he was underpaid and felt like he was being taken advantage of. That is not exactly what he said. And you need to read the article for for the full context. But I'll give you some some of that right now. Here are the two quotes that he said. He said, when I saw Tyreek go and get $30 million a year in the back of my head, I was like, man, that's two to three times what I'm making right now. I'm like, the free market looks like fun until you go somewhere and you don't win. I love winning. I love the situation I'm in. And then later he said, you see how much more money you could make, you could be making. And yeah, it hits you in the gut a little bit. It makes you think you're being taken advantage of. I don't know if I really if I really press the gas if I would get what I'm uh, if I would get what I'm quote unquote worth 
but I, en- uh, but I enjoy coming to the building every single day. So like, I think that this is just, let's talk about his, we'll talk about his salary in a second, but like just as his actual quotes, I think that this is a really like mature response and like uh, uh, he shows a lot of um, perspective, right? Right. Is Is a mature adult professional who is in control of his own contract situation to a degree and his own negotiations and is saying, and just sort of understands, yeah, this, I could probably make more money. I could pound the table, but also here's what's important to me. And whenever, and we know this working in this industry, whenever somebody gets that quote, the money quote, I used to call it, they take it and they run and they run with it. What was your thoughts on all the hysteria that sort of popped up where people were like, Travis Kelsey, he's underpaid and the chiefs are cheap and they're taking advantage of him and all that nonsense. Well, first of all, we all have to recognize this was a massive column article, right? There are all these like Chris Evans, like photos of him with his dogs and in, in sweaters and whatnot. And I think a lot of it was an effort from his new representation out in Hollywood to, to push him as more than a football player. And that's what's unique about Travis Kelsey. Titans in the past, like Jimmy Graham, have gone to arbitration and said, I'm more receiver than blocker. I should be paid like receivers. And and to date, they've never won that battle. I think Travis Kelsey could take it on, but from where he's sitting with his unique blend of being one of the best to ever do it and the the -the off-the-field charisma he possesses, he has a special opportunity to be extremely famous, well beyond his playing years, and probably make more money after he's done playing than, than while he's playing. I know that sounds absurd, but I think he's one of the few guys that can actually do it. If you think about the money Romo is making, he, he's making Tyreek Hill money calling football games. And I think when you're someone like Travis Kelsey, that's an opportunity you have. He wants to keep winning championships. He wants to go down as the greatest to ever do it. I think Tyreek Hill, maybe he would have had a chance to, to go down as one of the best receivers of all time, uh, have, you know, have as many rings as anybody but he kind of passed that up for a paycheck. I'm not mad at him. Feed your family. Do what you got to do. But Travis Kelsey has kind of a special situation. And I think he's got, a, a, like you said, an outstanding perspective on how lucky he was to land in Kansas City with Pat and Andy and how lucky he is to be able to translate his on-the-field success to uh, a second career. Yeah, and it would be maybe it would be different if he played for some trash organization like the Cardinals or the Raiders, who's poorly run, and he's got no chance of winning anything ever, and he's the only buddy, only person doing anything for the franchise, and he's having a Hall of Fame career. Sure, man, like, but he's he's not an idiot, and he he understands, I think, that you know, what he what what is important to him, and, and money is obviously and legacy is part of that, and so is winning. And I think, look, I was on Jimmy Graham's side when he did that. I agree, I agree with Jimmy Graham. Like, let's just be honest. Travis Kelsey's one of the best. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league. Over the, fast, the past five years, he's third in receiving yards. Right. Only Adams and Hill are ahead of him. Yeah. In the past three years, he's still top five. So he, when he says he's a receiver, he is. Yeah, he is. And, and that's something that the union and the NFL have, have got to – that they've got to figure it out with with the CBA or they Kyle Pitts is the one. He's the one. He plays split out so much. I think he he could actually win the case for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, as a Chiefs fan, this is good for us, right? That he is a tight end, even he's one of the best receivers in the league and because of the tight end salaries, that's the framework with which the Chiefs and Brett Veach are working it. And we're also very lucky that Travis Kelsey is is the kind of guy he is and that he cares about winning a lot. And um, that, that so he's not raising too much of a fuss. And I think the Chiefs are they've worked to take care of him over the years. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, let's, let's talk about his actual salary here. So he's, he's under contract through 2025 with the Chiefs. His annual salary is uh, $14.3 million, and that's third among tight ends. So he makes less than George Kittle 
in San Francisco who makes 15 and is a great player, but it's always hurt. And he makes less than Darren Waller, who's, as we know, was a was a Raider and is now on the Giants, who makes 17 million. Now, he signed his deal a while back. So that's also you know, always hurt. Yes, also always hurt. He's he's posted seven straight seasons of a thousand yards, which is a record for NFL tight ends. And last season led the Chiefs in receptions. He had 110 and receiving yards with 1,338. So I mean, there's no, there's just no there, there's no arguing the fact that he is indeed a receiver, and he is indeed he's the best by a mile tight end and one of the best receivers in the NFL. And he's making. I mean, I, I didn't pull out like some of the top end receiver salaries. And we know what Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are going to be making when they, when they get paid, but like he's making less than who's the guy that was with Arizona. And now he's on Christian the, uh, Kirk, Christian Kirk. He, he, he probably makes more than Travis Kelsey. I'm sure. He I mean, Devonte Parker signed a contract yesterday. That's similar yeah. to what Travis Kelsey's making. And yeah. that's just, that's insane. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, Travis Kelsey is a tight end on paper and he's happy with the way things are. I just think we're, we're just really blessed as chiefs fans to have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, who not only are all time great, maybe the best to do it at their positions, both of them ever. But the fact that they want, they want their money. Pat's been asked about this and he's, he's been like, yeah, like I want to get paid, but also he understands I think what he has in front of him, Patrick Mahomes, and the same thing for Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey understands, hey man, I am in a really incredible situation here. I could go down as the greatest tight end of all time. In my opinion, the only guy he's chasing right now is Tony Gonzalez. And that's because Tony, he started earlier than Travis when he was younger. It's longevity. And then he played forever. So if Travis can continue to stay healthy and play a few more years, he's got a chance to catch Tony or get so close on some of those metrics that when you look at what, what Kelsey's done, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. And we're just really lucky. We're really lucky to have these guys. And I hope he, I hope the wheels don't fall off for another five years, man. How much longer do you think he plays? Oh, given that we haven't seen any fall off whatsoever, I think another three is safe to say. Yeah. Beyond that. At, 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 at top level? He might start to taper a little bit. Why this really works out is if, Pat and Kelsey weren't together and didn't have the bond that they share. And the opportunity, I think, to surpass Montana and Rice and Brady and Gronkowski, this might not all be possible, but they are chasing history. And I think they believe, I think they're one touchdown behind Brady and Gronk. So uh, they really have a big picture outlook. And again, we're really lucky. I wouldn't begrudge him. Hell, George Kittle making $15 million a year, he's underpaid. Right. He, he He's half receiver, very good receiver, and half tackle. I mean, there's not another player really like him in the National Football League, and Kelsey's better than he is. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. Uh, all right, let's move on. I want to talk about this Chris Jones tweet that I'm really excited about. Still waiting on a new deal. It's going to get done. Don't anybody panic. It's going to be fine. He tweeted, I, I, I dropped the link in our our outline here that he's going to win the defensive player of the year award this year. That's all he said. He was just like, there it is on the screen. I will win defensive player of the year. Tons of views, as you can imagine. Well, I got to ask you, does that jack you up that he's talking like that, even though he knows he's about to get an absurd sum of money from the chiefs. And two, do you think he can get it done? And what do you think it's going to take? He's coming off a season where he had 15 and a half sacks and he didn't win it. Yeah, man, I'm frothing at the mouth. If you think back to my first ever hot take kingdom, I said, Chris Jones coming off a little bit of a down uh, season was a top seven NFL defender, got a lot of pushback. I think I was too, too low on him. Uh, What I think he has working against him, because I thought he was the best defensive player in football this year. And and lots of unbiased people in, in football media thought the same thing. Uh, He got doubled a lot more than, than Bosa and Parsons and had similar pressure numbers, which really are tells the full story better than sacks. What's working against him is Patrick Mahomes. Mm. What's working against him is Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. It's hard for him to be the brightest star in this solar system. I would argue it's impossible. And it's also hard enough for him, too difficult for him to get the credit he deserves. You look at Dallas. I mean, Micah Parsons is their best player, undoubtedly. If you look at San Francisco, I would say Nick Bosa is their best player. Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, all the same thing. Even some of these corners, 
uh, Sertain is, is Denver's best player. I just think Chris Jones has that working against him. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you brought up about there's just only so much oxygen in the room. And you you coming off a season where you get 15 and a half sacks, but Patrick Mahomes is going out there w- without Tyreek Hill, as we were reminded ad nauseum every single week by every every announcer that had a Chiefs game. Goes out there, throws for over 5,000 yards, over 40 touchdowns, has a ridiculous, absurd MVP season. And then you got Travis Kelsey, who's doing things no tight end has ever done. Andy Reid, in my opinion, I think Andy Reid only has one coach of the year. And... That's absurd to me. Like I think he like I think he should have gotten serious consideration for it last year. The fact that they traded Tyree Kill away and they made that offense better with that group of receivers, like get out of here, man. Just get out of here. Like, but they, they won't do it because it's you know, that award has just gotten to the point now where it's just like the way that you win coach of the year is your team needed to be really shitty the year before, and now they're good this year. So that that it's like that every single year now. Like there have been years where I thought Mike Tomlin should have won it when they like made the playoffs with like Mason Rudolph and every all their quarterbacks were hurt. And I'm like, how? How did these guys make the playoffs? I think he's a really good coach, but it's just Andy never gets it. He doesn't have that new car smell, right? I think newness is the ingredient voters look to because they get bored of the same old thing. Going into last season, people were talking about Herbert as an MVP candidate. They just they just want to look for something new. The other thing is, you're right, it's about defying expectations. These are narrative awards. The reason why Patrick Mahomes was MVP last year was because everyone said Ty- Tyreek Hill was going to cause him to take a step backwards. Of course, we all know that was not what happened. Yeah. And because he defied those expectations, he was able to win MVP. So I think, I don't know, maybe Chris Jones is more on the national radar and getting his name recognition up and finally getting the due he deserves as a player could be helpful in this campaign, but I just don't see it. You know, he'd have to go. I mean, a 15 and a half sacks doesn't really get you in the, in the conversation. He'd have to get 20. Unfortunately, I still think the national media is pretty counting stat driven, meaning sacks, touchdowns, those kind of things. Yeah. It's a, it's a bummer, man. I, He's so good and he does so many. And again, they, of course, everybody just looks at the sack numbers and they're like, okay, well, here's, you know, is his name Aaron Donald? And somebody in the chat pointed that out. Uh, Joshua said, Zolster said he would have won this year if his name was Aaron Donald. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, I don't know. Again, Cooper cup had a case for MVP, but he didn't win MVP. So they looked at Aaron Donald as the best player on his team, the player most critical to their success. Nobody is ever going to look at Chris Jones like that unfortunately, because he plays on the other side of the ball in the same locker room with the best talent on the planet. So again, it's just a hard place for him to be. Uh, maybe as a defensive tackle, if he gets 20 sacks, I guess it's possible that, I mean, that is a lot to ask. Yeah, it is. It is. And he doesn't play. That's the thing that should work in his favor. He doesn't play. There are no, there are really good players on the chiefs defense, but there's not another star on the chiefs defense that's known around the NFL and that teams game plan around like they do Chris Jones. That's why it makes it even more remarkable to do what he's doing. Uh, Just absolutely incredible. Do you think that the MVP award, that they should separate like MVP and quarterback? Because now just only quarterbacks can win it. And when Cooper Cup had that ridiculous season, like, do you think they should just have, like, because it's just, it's basically the best quarterback award now. I think they, not officially, but they basically have where offensive player of the year goes to the best non-quarterback and MVP goes to the best quarterback. So I did think Cooper Cup probably deserved it over Aaron Rodgers that year, but he's not a quarterback. So just think that's the way it's going to be. It's been quite some time since a non-quarterback won. I think Adrian Peterson was the last one, and that was over a decade ago. So this is just the new normal. Has a receiver ever? I don't think a receiver's ever won it. Ooh. Maybe Jerry Rice. I, this is some, something weird happened though. Like I think a kicker or something won. I, I, I got to go back. I, I looked, I knew this at one point, the history of this. So I was always good to have Verderam around because he just, you know, he knows everything. He's an almanac. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, football used to be a very different game and it is so quarterback driven. I think what happened w- was a combination of the new CBA and also the defensive rules. You used to be able to mug receivers. 
I mean, think about that famous game between the Colts and the Patriots in the playoffs where they basically changed rules because Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne were literally getting mugged. Yeah. That you can't do that anymore. So yeah. I think it's a more quarterback friendly league. It's a more analytical league and teams are just passing more than they ever have. So we're probably never going back there. Yeah, probably not. It's fun. It's fun to dream. Our producer Hunter says Jerry Rice never won it. And if Jerry Rice didn't win it, I mean And Randy Moss never won it. Right. Randy Moss never won it. Jerome has an interesting note in the chat. He said, I wonder if Chris Jones would have won defensive player of the year with the with the questionable call on Derek Carr going his way, one more sack force fumble, fumble recovery. If you remember that play last year when the Chiefs were losing kind of badly to the Raiders and Chris Jones got a sack on Derek Carr and fumble and fumble recovery and they flagged him for roughing the passer and it was complete horseshit. And the, remember yeah. the crowd went nuts and scared the, the oh, Carl Sheffers, his voice cracked like he yeah. was going through puberty. Yeah. But a similar situation happened in the Colts game in Indianapolis when he said something to Matt Ryan and they gave him a 15-yard penalty for hurting a grown man's feelings, oh, which God. a little over the line. Yeah. I wish we knew what he said, but I don't, it doesn't matter. See, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. I am a firm believer that anything like that, uh, fighting, anything that doesn't happen in the course of play should not count as a, as a penalty. It, there should be some other kind of, you know, like a fine, right? So if, if after the whistle is, has gone, Chris Jones has is, is unsportsmanlike or shoves somebody or anything like that. I think he should get fined. I think he should get whatever a warning or maybe even potentially ejected if it's really bad. But it should not be a penalty to reduce yards when it had when like, like if you hold somebody or you engage in pass interference. Okay, fine. Like that's directly impacting the game. Him saying something. Nobody wants a game to be decided by something that happened between the whistles. That had nothing to do with the actual contest. So I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think they should just completely get rid of that stuff. They won't, but I think it's bullshit and I think it ruins games. We're on the same page. I think it's the no fun league when it comes to celebrations. Let them do whatever they want. I love Joe Horn pulling out the cell phone, Terrell Owens dumping the popcorn in his face mask, you know, uh, Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco later with the gold Hall of Fame jacket. I wish we could go back to that because I think at the end of the day, Roger Goodell and the 32 billionaire owners, most are billionaires. We support this game financially because it's entertaining yep. and we love it. So let it be as entertaining as possible and don't affect the product on the field with Mickey Mouse bullshit, right? Find, right. find the players. They make a lot of money. If they act up, go ahead and do that. But we are in unison, my friend. Yeah. Ronald says, I still want a penalty in-game example if a player blindsides Mahomes in between plays and injures him, penalty plus fine. Yeah, but at that point, like, that's assault at that point. See, that's my thing. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, like, that's assault. It's not happening during the course of the game. There's a whole other rant I could go on about how, like, they just, everybody just, as long as it happens, like, at a, an, on a sports field, you can just, like, clock somebody or whatever and nothing happens. It's not assault. But anyway, yeah, this isn't uh, any given Sunday or the last Boy Scout. Remember the last Boy Scout where do you see that movie? I don't know. I've never seen that. It's like the, a war movie, right? No, no. It's uh, it's a uh, it, it's kind of a buddy cop movie, except okay. Damon Wayans is a football ex football player who gets washed out of the league. And Bruce Willis is a kind of like alcoholic detective and they team up on this case. Uh, but it starts out with a football player who's drugged up and gets like an ominous phone call. And he just pulls out his gun, a running back, when he's running towards the end zone just, and just starts blowing people away. It, it, was really, it was really a bizarre time, like early 90s when yeah. there just couldn't be enough violence in a movie. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I'll have to check that out. I, I'm a big Bruce Willis guy. Sad what's, what's, what's happening with him, but I die hard, all-time favorite movie. If you like snarky, tough guy with, with a soft side, Bruce Willis, I think it's going to be right up your alley. And if you like the kind of writing behind Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang or Lethal Weapon, you're going to enjoy it. So highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, man, I, I think Die Hard is one of the most perfectly constructed movies ever from a story standpoint. It's the perfect action film. It's, it's the action film 
on which all other action films are based. And it's a Christmas movie. I will die on this hill. Oh, it's 100% a Christmas movie. There's, I mean, a man dresses up as there's jingle bells throughout the whole, come on. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But, but, but speaking of, uh, uh, speaking of, I don't know, speaking of running afoul of the law, we're going to talk about this, this crazy guy, the, the chief Saholic, who is a bank robber. And it's yeah. funny to laugh at, by the way, but he terrorized a woman and made right. her fear for her life, which is really shitty. But we've got a guest who's going to like talk us through. Yeah, let me really quick. Let's yeah. bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famous Chief Superfan Xavier Babadar dressed up as a wolf and attended all games. I- I'm sure by now you've all heard about him. You've probably seen him at-, at Chiefs games, either there or on TV. He was prolific on social media and known for making massive sports gambling bets. I mean, massive, like borderline Drake and Floyd uh, Merriweather bets that make you scratch your head. He claimed to afford his lavish lifestyle by managing warehouses, but this claim didn't add up. He was arrested after robbing a bank in Tulsa on the way to a road game versus the Texans. And that led to speculation that the way he afforded all this was every time he went on the road, he robbed a nearby bank. (laughs) So where we're at now with the situation is Babadar cut off his court-ordered GPS ankle monitor and is now on the lam. His bail was 80000 but now it's a million-dollar bond warrant. And according to Tulsa reporter Jonathan Cooper of News on 6, Babadar has been on the run for three months. But his bail bondsman said yesterday that he's getting closer to catching him. I don't know if that's bullshit or not, but that is where we are. Let's move on to inter- introducing our guest. I'm very excited about this. He was one of the most prolific bank robbers in modern U.S. history. He paid his debt to society, turned his life around, and went on to become an author, speaker, and Hollywood consultant. Let's welcome Joe Loya, a.k.a. the bank robber the FBI once dubbed the Beirut Bandit. <laughs> Joe, welcome to the show. We're, we're excited to have you. It's good to be here, guys. It's good to be here. So let's jump right in. The theory is that Chief Zaholic has robbed many banks to afford his lavish lifestyle, like I said, road trips, charity galas, insane sports bets, but he's only been caught once. Is it possible that he's simply never been caught until now? I know that you didn't get charged with all the banks you robbed, right? Yeah. So, wait, let me see. You're saying he got caught, but they suspect him of how many? We don't know banks? yet. The, the FBI, the law enforcement has been very quiet. So well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Remind me, how do you pronounce his first name? Xavier. Okay. So, so when I got arrested the first time, when I got arrested, it stopped my it stopped, they caught up with me and I got, um, I stopped, I, I think it was 25 banks at that point. And when I went to court to, for the arraignment, they, they pulled this, this, this board out and there was like 16 photos of me walking out of different banks. And they said, we're at 16 accounting, your honor, he needs bail. So they were still collecting because they have to go and do that. So while I got bail, I robbed five more banks. So then I got arrested again. So he's, he's probably out there still doing it. Maybe in disguise. Who knows? Um, I didn't disguise myself at all. I just used I just used maneuvers to get away so that they couldn't catch me. And I live in California where there's freeways all around you. You get on one freeway four miles, you got a choice to go straight or go left or right. So I, I was at an advantage from where I was. So a couple of things about this guy. One, of course, he's underwriting a lavish lifestyle with bank robberies. It's easy to do. That's what I did. I imagine he has more robberies than the one he was arrested for because it's a totally addictive crime. It's relatively simple. I don't know. I don't know what, in Oklahoma if it's different than here. When I was robbing banks in the late 80s, they didn't have the, the glass between you. Is, is it like that in the Midwest? Do you guys have the, the bullet glass between you and the te- between you and the, um, the customers and the, the tellers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everywhere. Okay. So, so I didn't have that. Wow. Okay. So I didn't have that there. Uh, back at, back then. So it was much easier for me to, to march people into the vault, that kind of thing. But it was, it's super addictive. And the FBI knows that. They have a high, uh, uh, a high percentage of catching uh, uh, bank robbers, precisely because we're super careless. We're one, we have no feel for posterity to be a criminal anyway. You're not thinking about, oh, I'm, I want to have an insurance uh, a, a policy for later. I want to buy a home so that I can have equity. Nobody thinks like that. If we were like that, we wouldn't be criminals. We're very impulsive and we have no feel for posterity. So we're just doing things like that. Now, you get the bank robbery, You know the power of that is intense. If they, and if you're someone like I was then, not like I am now, but had so much rage in me, 
that it was enjoyable by, by enjoyable. I mean, the, the, the trade off I had when I went in there and I terrorized people, their, their fear was something that I fed off of. And it just kicked up the adrenaline rush because now I'm getting paid to scare people. So my rage has this place to go. Now I want to put a pin in that real quick. My regrets of bank robbery, I don't regret that I, I robbed Bank of America where I'm, I have a bank now. I don't regret like, oh, I did I did something really terrible with the banks. I regret the personal terror that I caused with man. For frankly, when I changed my life and I, I would have nightmares, that was the thing that bothered me to this day. Joe, you froze up for us. Oh no. That was a cliffhanger. I know. <laughs> internet, man. Live, live, live shows and and slow internet connections. They'll get you every time. We'll see if Joe's internet kicks back in here in a second. That <laughs> maybe the FBI got him. Um, no, he's done. He he's he's he served his time. It's really it's really interesting to hear him talk about the the like. It wasn't just one that it was like an addictive thing, but also two that it, there was like a something else was getting fed within that, which which he calls the rage, which is what our next question is uh, is going to be about when we get his internet back on. But like. Adam, I know that the Chief Saholic guy and, and Joe will hopefully be back with us in just a minute. He also was gambling with the with this money. So like he was obviously his person who likes risk. He goes and he I he I, he bet on the Chiefs. I think he bet. So here's the thing: he bet on Mahomes to win the MVP, I think, and the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl last year. And I remember reading that when he was trying to get out on bail. Everybody thought it was because like he wanted to go to the Super Bowl and they were like the, 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 he said it was, he had a family vacation. And so they let him out on bail and like, why in God's name did they let this clown out of jail? (laughs) Like, what did they think he was going to do? He was just going to be like, oh yeah, like I've got a family vacation, your honor. And like, okay, well don't run away. Like what? It doesn't make any sense at all. It's just how the bail system works. But yeah, I think. He definitely wanted to go get that money because that's how he was going to survive running from the law. And who knows how much money he won. He's betting tens of thousands of dollars per bet, it seems like. I have no clue where he is. He might be in Mexico. He might be elsewhere where there's no extradition policy. I'm a little surprised he stayed off the grid for three months. You know, I, I don't approve of what he did robbing the banks at all. But it is kind of impressive that he's been able to avoid law enforcement for this long in such a high-profile situation. I bet he is pretty miserable, though, I'd, I'd have to guess, uh, Very, in, I, unless he's in another country. Or he had money stashed away somewhere that he was able to get away. I I think it's fascinating that he was able to just like get out and then disappear. Like you said, you mentioned Mexico, so I got to ask you, if you were on the lam. Where would you go? Like if you had to hide out somewhere, maybe you don't want to answer this on (laughs) something that's being recorded, but like, where would you go? Like for me, I love Mexico. And so if I knew I could go to Mexico and they wouldn't ship me back, I would go like straight down to like the hotel zone, you know, down there on the water and like get a job bartending or whatever. And like, I would just lay low. I'd probably do some research on extradition uh, treaties or the lack thereof. And I'd find a place in Europe far away. Uh, where English could, could kind of take you far speaking English. And that's where I would relocate. Yeah. And I'm guessing once you get to that point, when you're chief Saholic, when you're Xavier, uh, you're not the top international priority. So you kind of just over time, it starts to not matter. And that's probably what he's hoping for. Maybe the maybe the move here is to to do all your searches for, you know, the extra non-extradition countries and all that stuff but then actually go to a place that would extradite you and lay low there. So like the they're old not, pump fake, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Pump fake them. Right. Like just, just, just bamboozle everybody. Um, kind of like the Patriots bamboozled the chiefs when they traded a Matt castle into thinking that he was a franchise quarterback, but he's not just go to London. They'll never look for you in London. You know, like if, like yeah. if I'm going down in Mexico and I like getting a job, I, there's a lot of expats in Mexico, but like, I'm going to stand out. I wouldn't stand out maybe as much in London. Oh, here we go. Joe's back. Welcome back, Joe. I had to shift. You were, you were, you were hitting on... I want to say something about his fugitive status. <laughs> I've been a fugitive. I did go to Mexico. And one thing is the day after, not five hours after he cut that thing off of his ankle, 
he was not a free man. And this is the thing everyone in prison knows. We've all known people who escaped a prison at one time or another. I spent nine years in prison. I knew a guy who ran, who, who ran over the fence, took off. It was a crazy escape. But he wasn't free because the whole time you're doing this. Like, what? <laughs> like you're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're being harassed with anxiety because you're always thinking, who is the next? Who's coming now? Could that be the person? And you're looking at Vans. You're always looking out the window. It's not a freedom that you imagine, oh, I'm, I'm away. I'm having a good time. It is terrible. There's And there's a reason why some guys just say, screw it, I'm turning myself in. It's hard to live like that. It's hard on the body. So it, it doesn't, that payoff, you think, oh, I'm going to get away and it's going to be great. No. And they're coming after you, especially in Mexico. There was a great article. I think it was in the New York Times a couple of years ago about bounty hunters who have a whole connection to guys in Mexico who are looking for guys like me who went down there as a fugitive. And they got really big success there. And I do remember what I'm, I'm telling you when I'm about the getting away thing. I was in Mexico. I'll tell you a quick story. And I went to this restaurant, really nice little restaurant, but the, it was during the day. And the only person there was this guy with his family, like four or five kids, beautiful wife. They're sitting at a table behind me. I'm looking at the door like I always do. And I'm eating my, you know, Mexican food. And in come guys. And you could tell they're dressed. They're dressed in street clothes, but they have the bearing of either military or police or both. And uh, they come walking in and my heart just goes, oh, shit, I'm caught. They got me. These guys are coming straight for me. And don't you know, they walked right past me and they arrested dude with his family. That, that was and he was just like, OK, you got me. And they walked him out of there. And I was so scared. I was like, wow, that, that's how it happens. You don't know when it's going to like you're going to have dinner with your family and boom, they get you. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy. The situation he's in, he's not he's he's free. But he's a. Uh, He's gotten away, but he's not free. Not a moment of freedom in the fugitive lifestyle. That's that's fantastic insight. We wanted to ask you about, you know, you watch the movies and and all that, and it, bank robbing. It's often romanticized as a as a victimless victimless crime. But you know, Chief Zaholik stuck a, a pistol and a, and a credit union teller's face. Do do you have to menace employees to to su successfully rob a bank, or like do, do gentlemen bank robbers exist? There's no like if you're telling somebody you need to give me money, I don't care how calm, how nice, whatever. There's no such thing as a gentleman robber because in order for you to get them to give you what you what what you want, they don't know how serious you are. Everyone on the other side is going to be scared, and to varying degrees. The woman who I actually interfaced with the most during that, because she was in the vault also, but I was having her help me do the money. She talked about how even though I was polite to her, she, you know, it messed her up for a year. She went to every time she went to night school and I think she, she did it, you know, and actually I broke down. I broke down crying like the the weight, my conscience, whole, listening to this woman explaining the terror that she felt and the ripple effects that has through her family. Because her family has to spend all this time comforting her, the the psychiatrist, like it is, it is a, it is a uh, terrible energy that you put into other people. I mean, it made sense. I was brutalized as a kid, so it was easy for me to, to turn around and terrorize somebody else. But I was the product of somebody else's bad energy and me coming out and going elsewhere. And so, oftentimes, when you when you impact somebody in front of you, a teller, even though it's a victimless crime and you're robbing a bank. The person who you're you're exchanging with, that energy is terrible. And so even if you're not totally viciously threatening them, which I did sometimes, for the most part, most of them were, were scared, demonstrably scared, even if I was polite. Except one woman. One woman, man, or two women I admired. I admire to this day. One of them pretended like she was so scared that I had to keep my eyes on her. And I couldn't look down at the money she was giving me. And she and she played it off to be so scared that I kept my eyes on her. And she slid me a die pack at 20 feet out of there. It exploded and I got tear gas in my eyes. I was like, it was. And so I always look back on that. Man, she faked me out. That was like the best acting I've ever seen. And I thought, man, this is a ballsy woman. I admired that gumption, right? Like, I mean, at the time I was get, you know, go back. Don't 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 come for me. But I always look back at that woman like, man, I that that was a ballsy woman. But the most part, most people were like paralyzed with fear and they don't know, you know, like they don't know what to do other than acquiesce. You hit on your past and how you were brutalized as a child. Do you think a domestic situation plays a big role in someone choosing a life of crime? 
We don't know a lot about Xavier, but we do know that his mother was a petty th- thief. And it seems like she kind of groomed him and his brother to kind of join the family business. Uh, it's kind of my thought that people just don't aren't born criminals. Talk to us about what has to transpire transpire for you to become a criminal. I've never met anyone who was born a criminal. I don't believe in that at all. But I do believe there's a lot of factors that influence uh, that uh, the community or the people we're in model certain things to us, right? So when you're growing up and you see things and you're like, oh, okay, it's kind of all right to like lie to the phone company. Hey, I'm not here. I'm not that. Like you start picking up things early and some parents are really bad at modeling stuff to you. Like I have a friend, his daughter, when he left his daughter with the mother, she would take the daughter as cover for her or even, you know, the seven-year-old daughter, she would take her when she was boosting clothes out of, um, um, out of department stores. I do think that no, but no criminal I ever met in prison had a lovely relationship with their family. And most of them were, you know, men, male prison. Most of them were, were brutalized, humiliated. And even some of them, like me, was, were bullied by their parents. You know, it's just terrible. Like, well, brutalized and bullied. Now, in the women's prison, it's a little different. All the women I met in there, they were all, they were all sexually assaulted early. And, and, and often by uncles, by dads, by brothers, by boyfriends, by husbands. It was crazy. Like, you don't, this, you, when you start to see that, you start to see that the, the, the human material starts off and you start whipping that tree as it's growing, it's going to grow crooked. You know, it's just going to be, it's just going to be what happens. The imagination turns dark. It turns inward. You feel twisted. You feel like you got a lot of secrets. You feel... You don't feel like when you get in good company, you're like them. And so you start resenting the difference between you and them. And you start resenting the other people because they have something you don't have. And you become harassed and menaced by their goodness, by their decency, by their ease in life, because you don't have it. And oftentimes it happens early in school. You'll see like these kids who come to school. It happened with my daughter in my daughter's class. There was this one kid who was acting out all the time at age five. And then you look at the parents who are around and all the parents who are sending them to this lovely school. They're getting along well. They're getting along fine. Their kids seem well adjusted. That kid's parents, every time they came to anything, you saw them at each other's necks. They were very young. They didn't know how to hide their rage towards each other. They would act out. They would yell. And this kid was being raised in that turbulent in that turbulent home. He was bringing it to class. And so he was getting labeled the troubled kid who would act out. He was the one who would be punished. And it wasn't on him. He was a sweet little kid. But it was the environment he was raised in was so volatile. So that's everyone I met in prison. And then you see that when they get there, they start doing a lot of time like, what the hell am I doing here? And then the older you get, we get less violent. That's just, um, that's just the thing with men. We get less violent. Testosterone goes down a little bit. So guys get older. They're safer to be around. They look back at their past like, man, I was an idiot. And they start changing. I know so many men who came up who had really violent lives like I did really violent criminals and even violent criminals in the prison change their life, you know, and it's, you start seeing it. It's because of the tough childhood, really rough childhood. They grow up, they mature and they realize, you know what? I wasn't raised right, but I can make some, I can, I can change that, but it takes time to end up doing it. You know, it's really interesting insight. You, you mentioned um, earlier that you skipped bail and obviously Xavier here has, has done the same. Do you think it's only a matter of time before he eventually gets caught? Absolutely. Time is not on the side. I mean, when you're when you're when you're on the run, fugitive, time is not on your side. And he's and if anyone gets near him and he tells them who he is, everyone's going to go online and find out about him, and they're going to find out there's a reward, and that makes him even more dangerous. And the thing about it, he's done something so sexy. Like bank robbery is a sexy crime. Every Hollywood hunk since Hollywood started has played a bank robber. There's a reason why when I robbed banks, I came out and I wrote my book. I went on a book tour. The fascinating, the most fascinating was old women with blue hair would come up to me. Oh, I always fantasize about robbing a bank. Everybody would come and say, I always fantasize about robbing a bank. And it's because Hollywood has made it sexy. Paul Newman, Clooney, De Niro. It is a sexy crime. There's no getting around it. I was watching Public Enemies about um, Dillinger. And I was sitting there, hadn't robbed a bank in 20 years. And I'm sitting there thinking, Oh man, that looks so cool. And for a minute, I forgot that that's who I used, what I used to be, who I was, because it was just, I was so lost in the glamour of it, right? Okay. So the point I was making is that this guy has this crime in his pocket. 
that would make him like sexy to whoever's around you. It would make him like interesting because if you're a bank robber and you walk in any room for the rest of your life, you're unimpeachably cool. It's a cool crime. It's not like he's walking out saying, hey, man, I, I used to, you know, slice people up and wear their torso like a skin vest. He's not that guy. He's not a serial killer crazy. He's a bank robber, but he can't use it. He can't tell anyone about it because then he's at risk of getting caught. So guys like that end up telling people about it and they end up getting caught. So, like it's hard for us to do that crime and not be able to talk about it. So he's definitely going to get caught. Now, what's more interesting, he got he's going to get a second charge now for cutting off the um, GPS monitor, right? Yeah. And so I don't know what kind of time they, I don't know what that crime is, but I know that that's a he's going to add more time. And if he's been committing crimes while he was on the run, uh, where do you think he is? Where do they think he is? Did anyone say? We really have no clue. It's been radio silence on his story. We know very, very little, except that he robbed this bank in Tulsa, that it was confirmed that he's Chief Saholic. He's the guy that's the super fan and goes to all these games, and that he cut off his ankle bracelet in, in Tulsa and has been on the run for three months, which is quite some time, right? Yeah, I think that, that's, I mean, that's a long time. Did you, didn't you say that the uh, the bail bondsman said they're near they're getting near him? It's what the bail bondsman said to uh, a reporter in Tulsa. See that um, it's just a matter of time, you know. To answer your question, Patrick, it's just a matter of time because then, in order for him to really get away, I didn't. I missed the part when I came in. You guys were talking about London or something. Were you talking about him being a fugitive, fugitive somewhere else, or where would you go as a fugitive? Yeah, that's what we were just pondering what we would do in his in his shoes. Yeah. Okay, what would you guys do if you don't mind? I didn't hear it. It's interesting. Well, what I said was I would do a bunch of Google searches for non extradition countries, and then I would go to a country that did have extradition as a little fake out, and and somewhere where maybe I wouldn't stand out as much. So lots of Americans, English speaking country maybe go to England, London, UK, somewhere like that. See if I could blend in. Yeah. And I went with the non-extradition and as far away as possible. <laughs> I think they're both good. The head fake's good to leave on your computer, like all like investigating all the, the extradition places, the non-extradition place, and then going and not going to one, but that's a clever head fake. But I, I would, <laughs> I would go with Adam's, I would just get her the hell as far away as possible in an extradition place. The thing about this, though, really is the travel. It's not where you end up. It's the travel. You can't fly. Yeah. How are you going to get away? I mean, that's a th- how do you are you guys really versed in the criminal world that you could get like fake passports? <laughs> like it's it's really hard, you know, like, yeah, I mean, Mexico is the easy part. I mean, it'd be easier if you were if you were outside of the United States, and want to come to the United States, you could just come up the border and pay. Somebody can bring you into this country, but it's harder to move around with your with your passport around the world. Yeah, interesting. I don't think that this guy, if he was subsidizing his life with bank robberies and he was subsidizing the the big life, it's going to be hard for him to live small. And you have to play small ball when you are a fugitive. You can't be spending a lot of money because you need your money, and you can't just go. If you're in a country, for example, you can't just go and rob. They don't have money, and they don't do the way we do it here. So. You have to hold on to your money. You can't party. You can't like live the way you want. Because listen, bank robbery, you don't make a lot of money. I robbed 30 banks. I made maximum $250,000, $300,000. That's not a lot of money. And I spent it a lot when I was, when I was, when I, while I was robbing them. So when I got arrested finally, I think I had $15,000, $20,000. Like I would, that's what I'm saying. When you're a bank robber or when you're a criminal, you're impulsive. And you're not thinking ahead. And if you know that, hey, I can go get twenty, ten, twenty thousand dollars anytime I, rob, I want to go rob a bank, or you know, or you're, if you're good, you start getting good at it, you could do that. But if you know that by the, you know, next week I can get five, ten thousand dollars, and you don't care if you spend two thousand dollars today. But when you're on the, a fugitive, you can't live like that. You can't bring back more money in like that. So he's living small. It's in, it's it, it's humiliating once you've lived that big life. Yeah, he's going to make a mistake, but but one of them is eventually going to catch up with him. I wonder how many banks he robbed. No, no, we're dying to know too, because if you think about it, he may have been, every time they went to play the Patriots or the Dolphins or wherever, he's hitting up a bank to pay for his trip. That's kind of the theory. You know, what are the chances of him getting caught the first bank he robbed? Well, the thing that threw me, well, that happens. The thing that threw me off was they gave him an ankle bracelet. The only people who get that are people who haven't committed a serious level crime, that kind of thing. 
So he got the lowest, lowest monitoring you could get for a bank, which makes me think he didn't do many of them. Now, now let's caveat on that. I don't know how to do things in, in Oklahoma in terms of their, their system, but if it, was, if it was a federal bank that he robbed, not a state bank, if it was insured by the feds, then it's the same system. It doesn't matter if it's in Oklahoma. It doesn't matter if it's in, in Arkansas. It doesn't matter if California. There's only one system for it. So if he got, if he got that, then that means it wasn't, it wasn't very much. Now the, yeah, there's, that's, one, that's one theory that he didn't rob a bunch of them. Yeah. You mentioned that you were a consultant for Edgar, Edgar Wright's hit film, Baby Driver. And I, I read that you also know you're friends with uh, Piper Kerman, the basis of Orange is the New Black. Talk a little bit about your Hollywood experience uh, being one of the few people on earth that's uh, a prolific writer and a former bank robber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, let's just get one thing clear. I had a, a very um, educated background growing up. And so I was like not on on the typical path to becoming a criminal. So I had a lot of resources growing up. I always wanted to be a writer. But then the vicious, the, you know, the violence in the home and stuff, you know, kind of threw me off track for a little while because at 16, I stabbed my dad and tried to kill him during a really vicious beating. You know, the, the courts took us from him. It was really terrible. He lived, but it opened up this violence in me like, oh man, I can, I can do stuff. So that took me off 16 years of crime, changed my life. And I came back to write. I always wanted to be originally. And I started writing um, commentary for um, uh, op-ed pages all across the country. I was lucky when I got out of prison, people saw talent. They helped me out. I wrote a memoir, The Man Who Outgrew His Prison Cell, Confessions of a Bank Robber. That was the critically acclaimed. I was I was lucky there. Then I started shooting to Hollywood, and I eventually worked on a TV show called Taken, the first season of that. I worked on a show called Queen of the South. But in 2011, actually, I wrote, I wrote an essay called How I Chose My Bank Robbery Getaway Song, which you can read, and you can watch the video that I made on, uh, on my website. So when I did that, Edgar Wright's people and Edgar saw that I read that piece, How I Chose My Bank Robbery Getaway Song, and he was working on Baby Driver, and he was kind of stuck. And they say he wanted to meet me and see if I could you know, give him some insights, and we hit it off. Like four hours of, of talking to Pasadena, California, and I was like, hey, dude, I robbed the banks around here. You want me to take you? I got away, and he was like, how are you? Let's go. And so that bonded us, and I would consult on Baby Driver. And then while I was working on it, he says, hey, man, I want to give you a little cameo in there. Is that all right? I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And that's how I ended up getting killed um, by Jamie Foxx. Right before, a year before I wrote that essay, uh, I heard through a mutual friend that that Piper was going in because we knew Piper's boyfriend. I didn't know who Piper was, but I wrote to her and said, hey, you know, uh, I had a pen pal relationship with somebody when I was in there and it became the guy, Rich Rodriguez, who helped me become a writer. And I said, uh, so listen, everyone around you wants to know if you change your life and all. So it's going to be hard to talk to him. I said, he and I, the great thing with he, I, he was a stranger. I didn't know him. And it was easier to talk to strangers than it is to talk to your family about what you're going through because they're going to be always worried. Oh, are they going to make it? That kind of thing. Stranger doesn't have that feeling for you. And so I invited her to a pen pal relationship, which we had for a year. And then uh, she came on and I kept encouraging her. I said, you know, write while you're in there, write the funniest thing you heard all day and, and the saddest thing you heard all day. When you come out, you'll have a book. She was like, no, I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. And I encouraged her and encouraged her with a couple of other friends of hers. And then she came out and wrote Orange is a New Black and it was a bestseller. She, you know, she published one of my letters in prison and, and uh, we're, we're, we're friends. We talk, we've talked all around the country. She lives here in the Bay Area where I live. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So that's my thing. And like I said, before, before the whole pitch of TV show that I created, about a bank robber family of all things, you know. So that's my relationship. I, you know, I, I just a storyteller. I love telling stories and creating stories. And I got a bunch of stories, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, you do. I actually listened to the podcast, uh, the Score Bank Robber Diaries. I thought it was terrific. I listened to the entire thing. I haven't read your book yet, but you mentioned it. The critically acclaimed, the man who outgrew his prison cell, Confessions of a Bank Robber. I think you also have your own Patreon now. I saw on your Twitter. His Twitter is Real Buddha Lobo. You can see it on the screen there. Uh, and his website is joeloya.ltd. Yeah, you can buy my book at uh, on my website. And I'll, and if you buy there, I'll, I'll, I'll sign it for you. Personalize, uh, uh, personalize it that way. Um, but man, I, this is a fascinating story. Fascinating to keep up with it and find out what's what. When he gets caught, bring me back. I want to talk about it again. We we will. We will. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
just really unique insight. We can't get anywhere else. So thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. I'm here. Appreciate it. All right. That was cool, man. Uh, aside from the unavoidable internet issues, it just it happens, man. It's 20, 2023, and sometimes you just you, you run a bad luck with, with the internet. But was able to hear 95% of what, what Joe had to say and just – Man, it's it. You can see why people, when you talk to somebody like that, why people in Hollywood want to make these kinds of, of of stories and these movies, and why people want to. You you wrote a, a short film once about a about a con man, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. I've, I've always been a huge fan of the crime genre. I grew up reading Elmore Leonard books, and there is there is something really attractive to it because I don't know banks in particular they don't have the greatest reputation among working class people, everyday people. Uh, they're also, like you said, federally insured. So you do think of this, you have to romanticize it a little bit. We've all seen Bonnie and Clyde or Out of Sight or Heat. So I think that's probably what partially attracted Chief Saholic to it. It's also easy money. And a lot of drug addicts, this is something you'll hear in the podcast, a lot of drug addicts are attracted to to robbing banks and they're usually not good at it but because they're they're out of their mind and that's why i think someone like chiefsaholic or or joe can have a little bit more success because they're they're a little bit more thoughtful on how to approach this but i'm glad we had someone who has been in chiefsaholic's shoes has been in xavier's shoes kind of come on here and say that it isn't a victimless crime you know, yeah. it is sexy, but it's not a victimless crime. He he did stick a CO2 pistol in, in that person's face, and uh, uh, Xavier did. And listening to Joe's podcast, he, he was very remorseful and shaken up when he heard these people saying that it affected their lives for years, and they weren't the same, and they had trouble sleeping, all these different things. So that's just something to keep in mind. I know we all make jokes and they're funny and he's an easy target and it's, it's a wild, wild story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think, um, I didn't think about it until now, but like, I really could see this getting turned into a movie. It's such a unique story in that he's look, he's a good looking guy, right? He was a good looking guy, sort of fits the, what Hollywood likes to see. He was gambling he was living this kind of like playboy lifestyle, going to all these games. He was a, he's a, a super fan, was captured by Getty Images. They were putting him on TV, you know. And then you have you have the upbringing and you have maybe the hottest team in sports. There's a lot of elements that that could forge a good story. Yeah, and and you there's I'm sure there's half a dozen Hollywood writers right now foaming at the mouth waiting for this guy to get caught so they can get with him and start working on a book and then a movie because when he does get caught there's going to be he ain't just going to go to jail he's going to owe he's going to owe some money he's going to have to pay some restitution and the easiest way to do that is to tell a story let hollywood embellish it so we could be sitting here in a in a in a few years watching this guy's story with with some creative liberties take place on on the big screen wouldn't that be something yeah we know so little now that it's hard to see the big picture, but I think it's going to come to light over time. Either that, or he'll just never, he'll never be found. He yeah. got out and that's a story all in itself. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And the fact that it was the chiefs, I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes is so good that he drives people to rob banks. Right. I can right. see it. I mean, you know, if you, if you needed to see Patrick Mahomes, I can, it, I, I don't recommend it, but I can at least understand it. Intellectually, yeah, fans aren't robbing banks to see Kirk Cousins, no, or, or Derek Carr. <laughs> Can you imagine you know? throwing your life away to 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 go see Derek Carr? Uh, but you you kind of get it with the Chiefs. Yeah, they are yeah. they're also sexy, like bank robbing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was really fun. This was this was your idea. Great guest. Uh, maybe we should start a true a, a true crime offshoot podcast. Uh, could be fun. That was that was kind of fun to talk about. Uh, we got to get out of here, everybody. We know things went long. Sorry about the connection issues. I know that those of you who listen to the audio version of this will probably not have to experience any of that or much of it because our guy, producer Richard, is the best in the biz and has such a high standard. So... 
but that was awesome. Thanks to Joe. Thanks to you, Adam, for joining me today. I think we're going to be together next week as well uh, on the Thursday show. So uh, we'll, we'll be we'll have a show for you. I think we're going to tape it ahead of time. But we'll have a show for you next week during the holiday. So we can take this moment now to wish you all a really happy Fourth of July and a safe holiday weekend. Be careful with those those firecrackers, man. No Jason Pierre Paul stuff. Come yeah, on, you don't, don't blow your hand off. No missing digits, please. Right, and protect protect the kids. And also, for for the love of God, once the Fourth of July is over, just put your fireworks in the garage until next year. I I need to sleep. They'll be going until they've already started. They'll be they'll be shooting them off until August. Oh, and, and dogs are terrified of fireworks. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. Think of the pooches. Yeah, think of the pups. All right, everybody, and get your pets spayed or neutered. Um, all right, everybody, thank you so much. Check out the link in the description. If you want to become an Arrowhead Addict member, hang out with us in the private Discord. There's a link for that. And if you want to get that Travis Kelsey-inspired T-shirt, till the wheels fall off, baby, check out the Arrowhead Addict store. Those are up for sale now. And there's a special shirt of me coming soon. So we'll leave you in suspense for that. We're gonna, we'll, we'll tease it. Maybe we'll, we'll do it out next week. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for producer Richard, for Adam Best, for Joe the Bank Robber. My name is Patrick Allen. We'll see you next week. But until then, as always, go Chiefs.